Hello and welcome to the Health in Focus with Jacobus podcast. I'm your host, Jacobus Hollowein. The purpose of the show is to talk about health, healing and healthy lifestyles in a format that is down to earth and pretty easy to comprehend. Most shows will be conversations with experts in the field. However, sometimes I will do a podcast on my own tackling other topics that interest me. The focus is on information, education, and even some entertainment. It's not a program where we diagnose, treat, or cure any diseases. In case this podcast and topic tickle your interest, please continue your own research by discussing it with a preferred medical professional, by reading books on the topic, or by doing more research on the internet. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and that you will become a follower for more show updates. Also, please sign up at my website, healthinfocusnow.com and receive updates on podcasts and articles. Thank you so much. Now let's talk about today's guest. My guest in the studio is Billy Joe Arthur. I've known Billy Joe for many years, on and off. We lose contact and then all of a sudden we see each other again. And what was intriguing, Billy came... Actually, he ran into my wife and I, and he was mentioning that he had lost about 200 pounds. We almost didn't recognize him. He looked amazing. And then he's done that with different approaches, which is interesting because it is not one diet that he has followed. It is just different approaches and changes in attitude. He has battled leukemia in the process. We're going to talk about that. He has battled diabetes. And so we're going to talk about his journey, about some of the self-help studies and the research that he has done. And now he is also starting to help other people in, in, in a plan for both weight loss and better health. And then better health, I have to say longevity and better health. So what are the things he does right now to reach out to others? will be topics of discussions as well. Now, a couple of ways to reach him. You can go to Facebook or Meta, and you can go to the address 100 pound fat loss forum. And 100 pound is spelled 100, 100 pound fat loss forum. There's also a website called bookbillyjoe.com, bookbillyjoe.com. And that will take you to a booking page where you can have a 45-minute one-on-one conversation with Billy Joe, and those are free. So, Billy Joe, absolutely a pleasure to have you in the studio. It's my pleasure to make this connection with you and have this uh, conversation. Yeah, we've known each other throughout the years, and I I knew you as a pretty hefty person, and you, you had a fun business card. And it was you on a beautiful background in your chef's outfit. You've been a chef for a long time with your chef's hat, your chef's outfit. And I think you were holding a fork or something. And it did say on the card, never trust a skinny chef. Yes, I remember that card. (laughs) I lived by that logo. As an overweight chef, I was living by that logo. Uh, Truly, in my opinion then... A chef who wasn't a little overweight was not tasting the food he was making enough and didn't love food enough to actually give you a phenomenal product. It was a tongue-in-cheek thing, and yet, sadly, it was true. Because I lived that, I probably gained weight for constantly for for decades. I met you, I think it was 2000, 
when I met you. Maybe it's before that. I think I've known. Uh, well, I know your time. mother much longer than that. Yeah, you've probably known mom since the nineties. Yeah, probably. Yes. I went to high school in Belgrade, just down the highway. I see. And then I graduated Montana State. Uh huh. In '99 is when I graduated yeah. Montana State. I went back as a old man on campus at 27. <laughs> I was an old man on campus. Imagine that today. I'm yeah. thinking that's 30 years ago. Anyways, uh, what do you want to talk about with my journey? Well, I think uh, your cancer diagnosis is very interesting. And we, that will definitely be included in this interview. But you started out, what was your top weight? What was the weight where you looked at yourself or you felt and said, I got to start making some changes. Okay, I was in the 320, 330 range when I first started trying diets. Mm -hmm. And I had tried this diet, that diet, this miracle product, that miracle product, probably 50 different diets, maybe 40, something in that range, and well over 100, quote, miracle products. Wow. All like fat burners and all kinds of stuff like that. And the result was I kept gaining weight. I would lose 10 or 20 pounds and then put on 15 or 25. Yeah. And iteration after iteration after iteration, I wound up somewhere north of 400 for sure, because the scale I had bought was a spring-type scale, and the, the gauge went to 400. And we could kind of look at the measurement of it and say, well, where it's going now is probably around 419, 420. Wow. Because it's coming back around past the zero. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, I was scared. Mm. I got psychologically scared for myself. I didn't have any health diagnosis or anything. However, I knew the weight was a problem. What year was this approximately? Was this after you finished uh, college then? Yeah, I was this 2000. Four or mm. so, three, four, somewhere in there. I didn't know that I was going to make discoveries that would change maybe the health industry even and how we address weight loss. However, I took I was just out to lose a few pounds. So mm. I got really disciplined and and I'd fail at another diet. However, I was failing with progress because mm. I intuitively knew that the five extra pounds was coming. So I didn't do what I now call revenge eating. Mm -hmm. When I went off of a diet, I went, okay, what can I keep here? How can I stay disciplined? And then my metabolism, unknown to me at the time, would recover some from the after the diet stuff. And then I'd lose another few pounds. When I got diagnosed with the leukemia in 2011, yeah. the, the chemotherapy and the, the rounds of max dose chemo went up, either triggered the diabetes or the result of it made the diabetes become very apparent. But were you, were, had you been testing yourself I had no for idea. possible diabetes? I had not. Not I, at all. I have a feeling that you gained that much weight. I was very much it, pre-diabetic. What I know today, I can... were. Yeah. No, what I know today is yeah. 100%. Diabetes is not a suddenly you have it disease. Correct. It's 20, 30, 40 years to get it. Correct. And in that whole time, you're building it the whole time, the same way you put on the weight. You didn't you become 400 pounds overnight. No. You put it on over 40 years or 20 years or whatever it took. Mm -hmm. Diabetes is a continuous stimulation of insulin in your body until you finally have overtaxed your pancreas and burn your insulin receptors enough that your blood sugars are spiking high enough to actually get an A1C high enough that the doctors will actually diagnose you as a diabetic. Right. Let's already stop right here. A1C 
is a blood test that many people do not get. It is a it is a uh, voluntary blood te- blood test, but it is usually not a test that comes standard. So if you are at all worried about your blood sugar, hemoglobin A, the number one, and then a small C, measures sugars in your red blood cells over a 90-day period. So it is not a test you do every week. You do it once every three or four months. And the reason is red blood cells only live about 100 days, 90 to 100 days. So if you do a blood test today on your A1C and it is not in the range where you want it and you start making drastic changes in your diet or adjustments in your diet, you could change that number within the next 90 days dramatically. Absolutely. And that is where, because there are people who take a blood test like that and then they say, let me just not eat any sugar or processed foods for a week before I do the blood test, but that doesn't make any difference. They are surprised. So 5.6 or less is usually the going rate. That's where you want to be in your A1C if you are above 5.6. So 5.7 till about 6.0 would be considered pre-diabetes. And anything over 6.0, 6.1, etc. will be diabetes. And so the interesting thing is what I think you also will emphasize is that you, when it is type 2 diabetes, this is something that you can completely control on your own without medication. Absolutely. When I first came out of the chemo hospital, my A1C was like a 6.8. Yeah. And they had me on a choice, insulin or metformin pills. I chose the pills because I don't like needles. I hate needles. Yeah. Anyways, I told the doctor, my physician here in Bozeman, that I was going to fix my diabetes and get off the medicine because I didn't like the side effects of metformin that I'd read about. And she said, well, that's impossible. Nobody ever gets off it. I said, no, you can watch me. I'm going to do it. Mm. And you're going to either supervise or I'm going to find a new doctor. Mm. And she said, what? What?" I said, I will find a new doctor if you don't want to supervise it. And she said, well, we can run the test, but nobody ever makes progress. I said, well, that's your opinion. Yeah. Let me prove it to you. And all I did then was cut the sugars out and the simple pastas and the, the, the vegetables that are known to be loaded, like potatoes and corn and peas and carrots, carrots yeah. et cetera, out of my diet. Mm-hmm. That's all I did. Six or nine months later, I was completely weaned from the, uh, the diabetes medication. And, Incredible. Amazing. And what I know today, fast forward, it's, been, it's 11, 12 years later, yeah. what I know today, I can do that same process in under three months, possibly in a month if I was really dedicated and had access to a medical professional to advise me the entire way. Because when you're coming off that medicine, you don't just quit it. You don't do it on your own. Make sure you get medical supervision to help you wean off and lower your medications properly. And and I would say it. you want, like you said, I'm going to get somebody else. You want to have somebody who is in your corner. Absolutely. And says it's not about them. It's not about... Them, they they want to see you succeed. And if they don't want to see you succeed, but if they want you to be a regular continuous customer for the medication, then that's not the physician you want. There is a, there is a place for those people, but it's not in your journey. If you want to become proactive, you love to have a coach 
in the medical profession who is your supporter and who will stop you when you go too far or encourage you if you're not doing enough. And those are things that I really appreciate that you that you followed your own heart on this one and said, I know it can be done. I just need somebody to help me to go through the process. And to this doctor's credit, who's still here in town practicing, if I remember right, I didn't look her up when I came back to town this week. But to her credit, she followed and she said, well, every two weeks we'll test your A1C. Well, I was making such progress that we set it up to every week. Yeah. Every week I had a Wednesday appointment. Yeah. We're going to test it. And every couple of weeks she'd say, well, let's take a few milligrams or whatever it was off. I don't remember the dosing. And like I said, it was six months, maybe it was nine months later, I was completely free. I wasn't tracking it. I didn't, I wasn't, I was just out to get off the medicine. I wasn't thinking of where I'd be today at all, yeah. right? I had documented it better. Yeah. Um, and by the way, today you're roughly about 220 is what you think? 228 was my scale weight before I got on the airplane. Right. And your goal, your next goal without, you know, in, in your mind, it's not like this is what I have to do. Uh, as I talked to you before the program, you enjoy the ride, you yep. enjoy the journey, and you see where it's going to end up. But what is your hope at some point to be? Well, w my hope wise? is uh, sometime in the early part of next year to be below 212 boiling. Okay. I don't want to boil anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a funny number. It's fun to say. Yeah. Think of it. Headed for 200-ish. I okay. would love to be in the wonderful 100s. Yeah. Like yeah. 195, 198. Um, yeah. I'm older now. When I was in college and working out in the gym and dancing every day, I weighed a 210, 212, 215, ripped so, and cut. I looked really good. The ladies liked my physique, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm now 58, headed for 59 in a couple of months. I don't have that physical structure to pack 215. I can look in the mirror right now at 228. And see that there's way more than another 13 pounds to go, and I'd still not look like I did in college. However, somewhere I think some number under 200 is yeah. probably where I'm reasonably going to end up as an elderly, or not, I don't know if I'm elderly yet, but <laughs> as a man of my and age. Mature. A mature man, yes. <laughs> and um, I'm going to do it in a manner that's very, very healthy, that's creating vibrant health. So when I go past 80, 90, hopefully past 100, I'm locomoting and able to enjoy life. I'm not just surviving and on medications that keeping me alive and extending a miserable existence. Mm -hmm. I intend to get there vibrantly healthy, walking everywhere I want to go, able to go out and get on a bicycle and pedal away and not worry about falling over because I don't have coordination balance, and right? balance. Yeah. Uh, be able to go hiking and enjoy national parks. One of my passions is national parks. Wow, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be able to hike around places like Yellowstone. Yeah. Hike around. You know, and, and be able to take my gear with me that I want. Uh -huh. You know, the big binoculars, not be worried about how many ounces they weigh. <laughs> it's just an example. Yeah, sure. I, I, I love hiking when I lived in Vegas. Yeah. Out in the desert. When you go hiking in the desert, if you don't take a gallon of water with you, you're foolish. Yeah, I see it. You are foolish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you lived in Vegas. Right. And now you live you in Texas. You take a half gallon for what you think you're going to need. Yeah. You take the other half gallon in case something happens. I see. And sometimes you get to the truck, you only got a quart left because it was hotter than you thought. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that extra water was, you got to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But what happened if you twisted an ankle and you needed it to stay there in the trail where you yeah, were until point. somebody found you? You bet. 
having that extra half a gallon is well worth it. I want to be able to have the health and the vibrancy to be able to take that water with me when I go on a hike, Any, even when I'm 80, 90 years old, enjoying nature. Yeah, and be sharp of mind, etc. Absolutely. Which is another thing that is so important. It's not just the weight that comes off. It is also the effect that sugars have on the brain in the long run. Oh, my brain and clarity think, is way better now than it was even 10 years ago. And there you go. Incredibly better. Hmm. I learn new topics and subjects really easily now. Again, like I was when I was a young man in college. If I decide I want to learn about what a certain vitamin does, I don't have to go reread it and reread it and reread it to get it to go in. I read mm-hmm. it once. It's well in. I read it the second time. It's almost memorized. Hmm. That's sharp mind. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. The journey for you, are you also incorporating exercises into this? Are you going to a gym? Do you lift weights? Do you do cardio? Do you just walk? Not just walk. For some people, walking is very, very important. So let's go back a little bit in my journey. When I was first coming off of chemo, I had a DVT due to the chemo. Mm. And that left me laid up so that I could not really walk any real distance. DVT? Deep vein thrombosis. Deep vein thrombosis. That's a blood clot in your in my lower leg. Yeah. And it left me debilitated. Mm-hmm. And I was in a place where I kind of wanted to give up. However, there's some part of me that was fighting. And I said, well, I'm going to just walk to the mailbox, which was less than a block away, multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. And that led to around the block. And eventually it led to me parking the car way out because I got a newer, nicer looking car and I didn't want door dings in it. And mm-hmm. I also wanted to add steps in, consciously adding steps in. I didn't have a pedometer or nothing. However, mm-hmm. I was adding, knowledgeably adding more steps in. Turns out that the more you move, the more it moves your bowels and your lymph, which are very, very important for eliminating toxins and detritus out of your body. You bet. So walking is to me the most fundamental exercise you can do. And it doesn't have to be exercise like you join a gym or you go purposely walking for an hour every day. Mm-hmm. Add extra steps in. Park way out. Make three laps around Walmart mm. or Costco before you head for the cash register. I see. That'll add a few thousand steps to your day. When you become feeling better, I'm all for whatever exercise is fun for you. Yeah. If you like tennis or racquetball, do that. If you like to ski, do that. If you like to bike, do that. If you like to swim, do that. Whatever makes you happy. I like to hike. Mm-hmm. Anything that gets you moving and mm-hmm. exercises majority of your core and your body so you feel better. Yeah. And if you enjoy it, guess what? You'll love to do it and you'll do it consistently. Joining the gym, to me... When I was in college, I wanted to have this big, buff, ripped, manly man look. So joining the gym was smart for me Mm because I wanted to do bench presses and all that stuff. And if that's what turned your crank, definitely do that. (laughs) I don't think you need to do weight-resistant exercise to be vibrantly healthy. Mm -hmm. Doing some egoscue and some push-ups and some other things like that that can help give you endurance, Mm -hmm. strength, Mm -hmm. mobility, balance. Way more important for being able and some stretching so you can tie, reach over and tie your shoes easily. All of that is good for longevity and enjoyment of life. Right. And that's the type of exercise we want to do. If we have something that's more strenuous, we like rock climbing, go do yeah. your rock climbing. Do that until you're physically not able to. Right. Absolutely. Mm. But I think the foundation of you have to be moving to get good health. Correct. 
You must move your body. And part of it is because you want to burn some calories while you are, you know, burning calories, get the body temperature up, uh, get the circulation going by exercising. These are all, in my opinion, very important things. Thinking about life as you walk, processing, uh, mental stimulation, whatever you do while you're exercising are all added bonuses, in my opinion. you, You just said something that, profoundly important is getting peace of mind Mm -hmm. when you walk if you're walking on purpose you can do a meditative walk where your your mind is focused only on the walk and only on the nature you're seeing and or the sights that you're seeing Mm -hmm. and you're here now and when you can stay here now for 20 plus minutes a day and let the stress of life go it profoundly changes your physiology and your long-term health and so whether that's biking or swimming or sitting on a bench even, getting that 20 minutes a day of self-centered, not self-centered, self-focused. Self-focus. Release. Introspection. Introspection. You'd be surprised how often, I don't know what your spiritual belief system is, whatever it is, how often your higher spirit will talk to you, whether you Mm -hmm. call that God or Mother Nature or whatever. That's all your business. However... That download will come when you're quiet in your mind and not stressing about what ifs of life. And you can do that while you're walking. Hmm. Allow the quiet to talk to you. What do you remember how you felt when you were 400 pounds? What do you remember? Was it a daily struggle of feeling heavy? Hard to use in the bathroom, hard to find clothes that fit, hard to feel uh, super hot when you were in Vegas. What was it? Self-esteem issues, whatever. The self-esteem very highly affected by the weight because I look in the mirror and be disgusted. I knew that when I went out in social situations, I was being judged and ostracized, if you will, by my size or people that didn't want to talk to me. Um, there was uh, definitely, when I went to the clothing stores, I had to go to the Big and Plus because there was no such thing as finding clothes that found fit me. And even like Big and Plus at like JCPenney's or Macy's and stuff, they only went to 3X and I was a 4X, sometimes 5X at that size. And to feel maybe discriminated against almost by the clothing companies because they don't make them that size. Yeah. Um, finding Levi's that are over a 45 or so, 44, yeah, yeah. they're very, very hard. Yeah. Now, they do make them bigger, but you have to order them online. Mm-hmm. You can't just go out and buy your Wranglers in a 48. Mm-hmm. And when you have a 54-inch waist, 48s don't fit either. Mm-hmm. Psychological part of it, though, was the worst. Um, I remember n- never giving up climbing three flights of stairs. I always heard that was good for you. I bought into it. And so I never gave that up. Mm-hmm. And I know that may have saved my life. Huh, interesting. Because the, 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 that was part of when I had the DVT and I started to walk the extra half a block mm-hmm. several times a day. I was like, I know it's good for me, so I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. No matter how much it hurts, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And that led to blocks and then purposeful walking for a while until I started to get, I now average well over 10,000 steps a day. Huh. And to push 20,000 is not a big deal. If I purposefully put it out there, I can do 30,000 steps in a day. Wow. Now, I have to make time to walk to do that. Absolutely. You will have to. Um, I accidentally hit 20,000, though, several times a a month. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. without even thinking about it. Just I have a busier day and I walk more, you know, just more bouncing around and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. All of that's good for us. Knowing of course, it's a lot harder to carry that weight around when and I do 10,000 steps. When I was steps. heavy, I, I remember hiking at 350-ish, and it took a lot longer to get places. Mm-hmm. I had to plan for, if the, uh, the hiking guidebook said it was a two-hour hike, I had to plan four hours. Because mm-hmm. I knew I was going to spend a lot more time sitting, catching my breath, et cetera. Just wore out. I'm literally packing a whole backpack of 100 plus pounds yeah. on me more yeah. than the guy next to me. Absolutely. And that means my body's doing a lot more work to walk up a trail, even an easy trail. Now I go hiking. If I put a 30-pound backpack of water and gear on my back, it's almost like it's not there. And <laughs> I, I have you. friends who go hiking with me go, God, you bring a lot of stuff. I go, no, it's nothing compared to the 190 <laughs> I used to take hiking with me. Yeah. They go, 190? What? I yeah. go, oh, yeah, I used to be real fat. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember. So I believe you got to do exercise. You got to do exercise you like. Mm. Far more important to do exercise you like so that you continue to stay committed to it. So, it beca- it's, so it's fun. It becomes part of your lifestyle. Everything I teach people, I want it to become part of your lifestyle. Yeah. To where it's comfortable, it's easy to do, et cetera. Mm-hmm. When food becomes an addiction or eating more carbohydrates than you should because it makes you feel good for a few moments in the brain, so can exercise become a feel-good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and so I enjoy going to the gym partly I, I feel I, I should go part when I'm there I enjoy doing my own thing doing my exercises I like to get up early in the morning and then go really early and then get my exercises out of the way that is almost like an addiction I would say if I don't go on the weekends then I'm ready to go again on Monday and for me I like to do certain exercises that are different than walking. I've been having issues with my heels for many years, and for me it is hard to walk a lot, but there's a lot of things that I can do stationary and mm-hmm. feel good about it or you know, push-ups and sit-ups and stuff like that. So whatever works for the individual. Anything sit- that works. If you're in a wheelchair, yeah. rolling a little further, you obviously bet. you're not walking yeah. or swimming. There's... A- All kinds of exercises. I'm no expert on that stuff. However, I know there are plenty of exercises to do. So I know men who are in wheelchairs, their upper body is vibrantly fit. And I know they do differing things. Whatever you have to do to feel good, exercise-wise, exercise is part of feeling good. And there is an endorphin dump Mm -hmm. that happens. Also, when you join a gym, there's a benefit to joining a gym that you like because you get to see the same people. It's true. In the morning, when I was in college and going to the gym, I went in the weight room. The guys were like, yeah, you're back. Yeah. There's a high fives. There's a, there's a jockey kind of a thing. But it was definitely a, a feedback mechanism. You're back. Let's go hit the, the bench press. Let's see how much we can do today. Yeah. yeah. And that led to a feedback of just the psychological fact I was there with other people included. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, that's part of what I say. Do the exercise that makes you feel good. Absolutely. Because it is a journey. You cannot start the journey doing everything completely. It could be that you do the walking, that you do the hiking, and that you say, I'm going to walk one block 
and they do that for a week. And then you say, you know what? I can walk maybe two blocks this week. Absolutely. And you, and build you it just up. keep it. Yeah, because it's, I, <clears throat> I tell people often, it's not where you are today. That is nice. It's a good start. But what is really all about where will you be in a year from now? How will you feel? How will you be doing? Bingo. Yeah. When you first start any lifestyle change, we start talking about what we're going to do with the what your food you eat or how you eat them, the schedule you eat them on. If you go all in all at once, it's just going to be like going to the gym and picking up a 25-pound weight, and you work out, work out, work out, work out, and then you're so sore the next day you never want to go back to the gym again. Right. If you went to the gym, got used to the movement with little or no weight, say a five-pound weight, that's almost nothing. Mm-hmm. All of us can, almost all of us anyways, hopefully can pick that up yeah. and easily do five or ten reps. And you're not going to get sore over a few reps of each kind of exercise with a really light weight. But your muscles are going to start to build and get used to it. And if you up the weight a little bit every week, eventually six months out from now, you're doing it with 25 pounds, 25 reps, 25 different exercises. Mm-hmm. What would have made you so sore you'd have never gone back to the gym six months before is now part of you being vibrantly healthy. And you've got six months worth of workouts in. You've built a habit. You've built a lifestyle. And you enjoy it. And now it becomes part of your lifelong lifestyle. Right. It's not because part of your every vibrant day, health. Right. So every day you do something. It's not that you all of a sudden, after six months, so like, pick up that 25 like if I, pounds, if we but you've been about building up. Just walking. Yeah. If you set out to do 10,000 steps a day from your sedentary lifestyle of 3,000 steps, it's super hard. But when you work up to it, to where you're just building in a few extra steps by parking the car out or making an extra lap or two in the store you're in, Eventually, you're hitting 10,000 a day, and suddenly you're accidentally going past 15, and then you can start to consciously go for 15, and now suddenly 20 is easy. Mm-hmm. And 20 mm-hmm. doesn't, for me personally, I accidentally hit 20 fairly regular, yeah. five or six times a month. I'll look at my numbers from my health tracker and see I've made 20,000 steps for the day. Wow. And my average for the month is 13,000 steps a day. Wow. That's a pretty darn good number. Yeah, I would say so. And I do it. It's part of just feeling good. Mm-hmm. I do part of it to keep my car dent free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so the side benefits for it. However, the biggest benefit is when I look at the man in the mirror in the eyes, I respect that man. Mm-hmm. That is huge. The, all of the changes I do build on that self-respect. Self-respect is a huge part of becoming healthier. Because it allows you to have the discipline to say, no, I'm not going to have that this morning. I'm going to wait and have that treat this afternoon when I open my daily eating window. Mm -hmm. Even the psychology of a daily eating window versus a fasting window. Fasting implies denial and can't have. A daily eating window is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to have that treat maybe. It's an opportunity to put good nutrition in so you feel good, so that you look in the mirror and go, yeah, you did good for yourself yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's, that's an interesting uh, segue. You have tried different diets. Uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and then you would lose some weight and then gain weight again. What was it that you gained the weight again because you thought you had reached a target and you decided to quit that diet, what was exactly the reason why you have tried different diets? Okay, so in my studies, I come across some facts about how our metabolism adjusts and adapts to any diet. The national statistics, according to Dr. Mark Hyman, 
said that 99% of all diets when studied past one year fail. When I heard that, I made 100% sense because I intuitively knew that already. Because when we do a diet, our metabolism matches our diet. If we move more, our metabolism also slows down to match the calorie deficit created by the more movement. However, there's ways to biologically work with our systems to not have that adjustment happen. And when we change our daily eating window and work with our insulin cycles and add an occasional fast and have our psychology correct, and we build it into a lifestyle that we can live with and enjoy. Mm -hmm. I get to eat tacos and pizza. I get to have an occasional donut or a bowl of ice cream. I don't have those things. Those things ain't 100% off of my table. Okay. They're within reason, with mm-hmm. moderation, and they're in my daily eating window, mm-hmm. which means I get to have them, which mm-hmm. means I don't have to build up a craving that at some point I crash off of the diet, and then I'm going, bad man, bad man, bad man, beating myself over the head with a proverbial rubber hammer. Yeah. I can go, so what? When I look at our... My diet, I tried all those diets and I, my metabolism kept adjusting. And then I would do exactly what I'm talking about to myself. Uh, I would get to the give up point because the diet would stopped working. Three months, four months in, I was no longer making progress. So it stopped working Correct. in my opinion. Right. And once that opinion comes that it stopped working, why do it? Then that triggers the what I used to call revenge eating. Well, I ain't had tacos, pizza, beer, and ice cream, and all these other things of pleasures of life. I'm going to have a, a bunch of them. Right. I'm gonna, and I gorge on some of those things. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I go way past my normal calories. And then by the time my metabolism was sped back up, I'd be back to normal eating because I got all of that craving stuff out of my stuff. But in that process, I'd put on an extra three to five or seven pounds, maybe yeah. 10. Mm-hmm depending on how long I'd stuck with it and how long I revenge ate. Mm-hmm. So if we build our lifestyle to allow us to have those foods and to work with how our metabolism and our bodies actually work, not the gym rat advice, move more, eat less, that our body is actually adapt to, that they're leaving out of their equation, that is really important to, ex- to acknowledge and work with, we can build a lifestyle that we truly enjoy, mm-hmm. that gives us long-lasting longevity and vitality, Aging us really, really well. It turns out the same things that will work for weight loss actually give you more longevity and vitality. So why not do them and build a lifestyle that is going to be something you maintain, not just for weight loss. Mm-hmm. You go from 300 pounds to 180 or something, whatever the number is. If you're mm-hmm. a man, if you're a woman, maybe you go from 220 pounds to 100. 30 pounds, 120 pounds, and you look really good. Mm-hmm. You put that dress on a lot. Banging hot. Yeah. That's okay. If you keep the lifestyle, you get to enjoy longevity and vibrant health because our bodies will adapt even to the long-term lifestyle. And we stop losing weight when we hit our our ideal weight, not what the medical books will tell you is your ideal weight, not what some BMI text tells you. For some people, it looks skinny. Some people, it looks like you're just a teeny bit thick. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. As long as you can look in the mirror and know that you have vibrant health and respect yourself, that's what really matters. So when your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend look at you and go, 
I like what I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That helps. You mean to have a support system of other people well, that who helps, tell you that. But also to know that that you're in a kind of physical condition if you're single. Uh-huh. That when you meet and date people, they're looking at you going, oh, he looks good. She yeah. looks hot. Yeah. I mean, I just went to my 40th high school reunion this last week. That's why I'm back yeah. in town. Oh, yeah, yeah. 40-some people from our high school were there. We only graduated 76, so over half the class showed up. Yeah, very nice. I had uh, not everybody, but close to like 35 of those people said something about, man, you look fabulous. Yeah. That's huge psychological impact to have people you haven't seen in 10, 20, 30, some of them 40 years saying, mm-hmm. man, you look fabulous. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Truly curious, truly wanting to know, how come I have this vibrant energy? Because when they found out I, on a fasting type program, my daily eating window means I haven't eaten. I normally eat four to about eight or nine o'clock at night. So oh, so you, you only eat in a four or five hour window? Yeah. Okay. I Now that's shorter than what's the, yeah. eight hours is kind of the magic zone where you get into it. When you get shorter than that, you can accentuate and, uh, Actually, augment would be a good word. The results. Mm-hmm. So I'm staying in apoptosis longer. Apoptosis is when the body scavenges dead, dying, and defunct cells, precancerous cells, and it goes after the inner organ fat, the stuff that's really killing us. Yeah. The little bit of fat under your skin is not bad for you. It may not look pretty in the mirror. But it's not killing you. Mm-hmm. The fat that's inside your organs, inside your liver, inside your pancreas, causing dysfunction of your liver and your pancreas, is what's really killing you. You bet. It's causing toxins to not get flushed. It's causing low, uh, improper insulin response out of your pancreas, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I.e. triggering type 2 diabetes. Uh-huh. When you get into apoptosis every day, we're actually taking that inner organ fat away, along with precancerous cells old, dead, dying cells. We're stimulating our stem cells. So our stem cells are the magic building blocks that replace our, our all of our cells in our the body. diseasing and dying cells. Right. That's they right. replace them and they bring back brand new healthy ones. Yep. Here's but depending a, on our condition that we're in. Right. If you've got to yeah. be eating healthy and everything, and you, but you need... Healthier stem cells. You get healthier stem cells. Mm-hmm. Also, when you do the apoptosis, you start to feel better, you start to look better, you start to get... Uh, to where it becomes self-feedback, right? Yeah. And then um, the other thing that happens as part of the daily eating window and basically a 16-hour fast daily is how it resets our hormones, both male and female hormones. Mm -hmm. Most people see drastic improvements of their individual hormone levels for their own health. So if you're a female, your estrogen levels go up and they become more balanced. So female issues become less men their ed and low t function stuff all stems to seems to at least improve or even rectify by doing the daily eating window type of lifestyle mm, interesting. it takes time mm-hmm. but it's a side effect of it <clears throat> it's all because of the 16 hours where our insulin levels are dropping and getting lower our body goes into natural healing processes and the apoptosis and taking out all those dead dying cells, the precancerous cells, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that a huge amount of benefits out of it, let's work on building a lifestyle that allows us that. Mm-hmm. And if we when we first go for a daily eating window of eight hours, if you currently eat from seven in the morning to ten o'clock at night, 
If you do that suddenly, you're going to be feeling sick. Mm -hmm. Of course. We don't want to feel sick. It's just like going to the gym. When you first go to the gym, you got to do it light. So take an hour off the front end or the back end, whichever yep. is easy. Yep. A week or two later, take another hour off. A week or two later, take another hour off until you're down to an eight-hour window. Me, currently, I do around a four- to six-hour window. Um, the reason it's a, it becomes a four-hour window is I go to work, and if there's no great treats of work, because where I work, the, sometimes they have some of the guys bring homemade food. Uh -huh. I want to try some of that. But if it's not there by the time I've been at work two hours, if it comes late, I just skip it. Because mm -hmm. I stick to knowing what's better for my health. They'll yeah. bring it again another day. Yeah, I see. Also, during my eating window, I have to, when it's short like that, I actually have to consciously eat to keep my calorie count up enough to keep my metabolism firing at the current level. Good point. So I don't want to have a shortage of calories uh -huh. that leaves me, my metabolism slowing down. You bet. Very so interesting. I, so I add in avocados, pecans almonds, other calorie-dense foods that are good for my health, that I feel good about eating. Part of the issue is the quality of food that you eat. Absolutely. And in this case, yeah, we can talk about quality in that word, but I want to mention quality of what it does to your body. There are foods that metabolize very quickly, so they give you quick energy, and then they're dropping off. There are other foods that give you longer energy, and those are the sustaining foods, such as the avocados and the nuts, for you. Mm -hmm. So the human body is designed to fast, for lack of a better way to say it. Because in ancient times, we didn't get food not even every day. And our metabolisms had to stay up to keep us motiv motivated and moving till we found the next root patch or berry patch or next animal we could harvest mm -hmm. for food. If our bodies were to shut down over the short-term lack of calories, the human race wouldn't be here today. Mm -hmm. The species mm -hmm. would be gone. So our bodies store some of that food. If we're eating simple foods, it'll store it as fats. Insulin is a fat storage hormone. Yeah, it happens to control blood sugar in that process really well because it's Insulin storing it is as a fat. fat storing hormone. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the medical definition of it is a fat storage hormone. It happens yeah. to control blood sugar very well in that process, and it's also it's one of its secondary functions. Yeah, when insulin's high, it's also inflammatory, which is I've got a whole other set of detriments to our body. But that's why you have the sugar come in, right? Right. Yeah. Sugar, unbeknownst to most people, is on the order of eight times more addictive than heroin or cocaine. There's a good biological reason for that. In ancient times, we only run into rich supplies of sugar like ripe fruit and honey in the fall when it was important to have an extra 5 or 10 pounds on your derriere to get you through winter, mm -hmm. through the lean times. Mm -hmm. We don't have, quote, winter anymore. We, yeah, we have it weather-wise, but we don't have winter for food anymore. Right. We don't. And 24-7 availability of food is really bad for us with our insulin levels. It's really bad for our health. Even a vegan, as good as that diet is for you, getting off the standard American diet, veganism is a phenomenal way to break your addiction to the standard American diet of processed foods. The problem with it is, is like you said, they eat constantly, which means every time you eat calorically, you're stimulating your insulin. Granted, it's way less than it would if you ate a tablespoon of sugar. Mm -hmm. However, that continuous stimulation of insulin is leaving it higher than normal, 
eventually burning your insulin receptors, eventually giving you fatty pancreas, eventually giving you type 2 diabetes. Even a vegan will get it. It takes That's a right. lot longer. Yeah, they have clean pipes. It takes pipes. a lot longer than the guy at 7-Eleven for donuts and coffee right. with sugar in it and a big gulp. Yeah, that's, that's a good However, one. And because it happens all the time, I see people doing this. So yeah. the quality of what we put in our mouths, yeah. more fats, not less. Matter of fact, the, 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 most of the research paid for to say that fat was bad was actually paid for by people who are related to the sugar and cereals industry, the grain industry, mm-hmm. because they wanted to sell more of that. And guess what? If you take the fat out, you got to put sugar in to get taste. That's right. And so they benefited from paying for the studies to show that. The modern current studies show that fats are actually good for us in moderation, especially if we're talking fats like, say, bacon fat. Mm-hmm. Nitrates and stuff are actually detrimental to us. So we want to control how much bacon we eat. But eating lard or butter is not t- technically bad for you. You want to make sure you get it from an organic source or That's at least a, or at least a free-range uh-huh. grass-fed, mm-hmm. not a... Grain fed, yeah. commercially dieted. I think the grass fed the grass fed is almost more important than the organic. Absolutely. Organic I agree, would be great 100%. because of the quality of food. Well, uh, you fats. could have organic that was fed corn, for instance. <laughs> Correct. And now you have a high glycemic, for lack of a better way to explain it, animal that grew on a high glycemic, so it had a high insulin level, so it's put that its own imbalanced hormones into the meat you're eating. Mm-hmm. Versus mm-hmm. a grass fed animal is in a very pristine state with their nutrition for their animals. The ideal nutrition for herbivore is mm-hmm. the grasses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then because of that, you get more omegas that mm-hmm. are good for you. You get better tasting meat, and you get better quality protein for building your body with less junk in it, mm-hmm. especially compared to conventional beef. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 100%. you yeah. got to get your protein. And we don't need the protein that a lot of people think you do. Mm-hmm. A pound a week is more than enough protein for the human body to s- produce vibrant health. Most people are on the standard American diet are eating a pound to a pound and a half or more of protein products a day. If you're in the gym all day, every day, that may be pertinent to somebody who's building to be an Olympic weightlifter. It's not important for you and I to live a vibrantly healthy diet daily. It's a debatable thing, what, you, what you're mentioning right now. I respect it because for some people, like yourself, it works. On the other hand, I have a bigger issue with people eating less protein and therefore eating more salads or grains or beans. Well, because if you're the craving it with grains the, or beans, you're not going the right direction. And I and I'm with you on that. See, but in general, then people don't want to eat the meat. And I do believe that we can definitely eat more eggs and meat and fish than... Oh, definitely than, more eggs. Yeah, but when you, eventually what you put in your mouth has to go through the digestive process, has to be processed in a way so that it can get absorbed through the small intestinal wall to go into the bloodstream and to feed the 70 trillion cells that are make up our body. So we need to eat plenty in order to get the nutrients that we need to perform and do the things we want to do. I don't want people to say, I know in my mind what I used to do. I can probably still do it. And then they do it. But they do it on an engine that only has a quarter tank of gas 
And so now they're, they're sputtering, but the brain says, oh, I, you know how to do that. Do it. Do it anyway. But the body says, I do not have enough fuel to get the job done. You're hitting the key. If you're cutting the proteins, though, you have to bring up the fats That's versus a, you bet. the okay. simple carbohydrates. I'm with you. That's the, the, we eat, my opinion, too much protein. However, we don't eat enough fats. Correct. I think fats good are very well. Yeah, we don't eat enough fats. And then we fats, can talk about fats. Good fats are phenomenal for us. What are good fats for you? I think the fats in things like avocados, olives, nuts are phenomenal for us. I'm not about all the nuts. I, huh? I think nuts have a, have a value, but uh, peanuts and cashews have a tendency to be more inflammatory and moldy. Okay. So I would say point. do some do I, some macadamia, I, I think of almonds, walnuts. Almonds, Pecans, pecans, walnuts are the phenomenal nuts. Uh, almonds and macadamia nuts are good uh, for a variety and for mm -hmm. tastes. Mm -hmm. They're not the primary nuts I would say we should eat. And the cashews and peanuts are they're better for you. They're better for you than sugar, but they're and they're a good treat once in a while. But they're not the primary nuts I would recommend. Well, eating. and what I notice, Billy Joe, is that I talk to people who love to eat nuts and eat a lot of nuts. And then I go, the reason why you crave the nuts is because you crave the fat, you crave the protein. The problem is that the nuts are in high in omega-6s. And the mm. omega-6s versus the omega-3s need to be in a much better balance. So nuts, seeds, grains, beans are high in omega-6. The oils from the nuts and the seeds, the sesame oil, canola oil, safflower oil, walnut oil, almond oil, the oils from these fats, which have been highly promoted in the 80s and 90s, have caused us to be much higher in omega-6s in our body than omega-3. Our body yes. cannot process omega-6s quick enough to convert omega-6 into the fat that makes omega-6 really a healthy fat, an essential fat, which is something called GLA, gamma-linolenic acid. Yep. The GLA's benefits are good for hair, skin, and nails. They're good for the hormones, and they're good for the immune system if you have enough of it. The problem is that we need quite a bit of omega-6, to get enough of the GLA out of it. But when we do omega-6s, we eat the nuts, the seeds, the grains, the beans. Our body fat, the pancreatic enzymes, need to convert the omega-6s into GLA. And that process is four times longer than converting fish into the good fats EPA, DHA. Right. Omega-3 fats. So those are always anti-inflammatory. Yes. When we eat a lot of omega-6s, it takes four times longer to convert that into GLA. And it can be inflammatory. Because the body cannot convert it before the next meal comes in. So now at some point it says, you know what, we're going to store this fat unprocessed. Ah. And then it, it sits in storage in the body, eventually converting into something called arachidonic acid. But arachidonic acid is always inflammatory. So now you created inflammation. You created an inflammatory effect because arachidonic acid 
is always inflammatory. And now you start looking the diseases that we have noticed that everything is pretty much in an ends with the words itis. Arthritis, prositis, hepatitis, sinusitis, uh, colitis, diverticulitis, all these itises. Because the doctors can't figure out anymore why there is so much inflammation. But they do know that they sell medication to fight inflammation. But if you, like what you have done in your life, is turning off the faucet, instead of just keep feeding it, you said, I got to stop what I'm not only how much I eat, but also what I eat. So I got to turn this faucet off, turn another faucet on that I can that I control better. You start having people continue to eat the wrong foods, but they're taking medication to fight inflammation. You have, you know, there's a train wreck. Yeah, happening. absolutely. And so this is where we see a disease Disease developing where, in your case, you said consciously, I am going to change the way what I eat, how I eat, when I eat, and do it with knowing that it will be a success. And so you motivated yourself and you started seeing the changes. And now you're excited about it because it's really working for you. Well, the the margarines and the Crisco. Yeah. Those are trans fats, also, which are on the order of maybe a thousand or ten thousand, depending on whose study you t- look at, worse for us than cholesterol. And it turns out the newest studies are showing that cholesterol was never actually bad for us never in the first bad. place. That's right. However, the trans fats are super inflammatory, and they cause mic- between them and sugars. Sugars, when they interact with fats in our bloodstream, actually microlyze fats mm-hmm. and make them more quote sticky and they cause the lay down of plaques in our arteries yeah. the, and what people don't understand is the quote plaques in our arteries are actually a symptom of high inflammation in our bloodstream because if plaque actually plugged up your arteries we wouldn't have eyes or skin very quickly <laughs> within minutes we would be dead yes uh, so it isn't actually plugging it's a response to the inflammation of the high sugar levels primarily, irritating major arterial walls. Mm-hmm. And when they get irritated, if I took my nails and scratched my skin, like I'm doing here in front of the microphone, that's produced a little bit of heat and a tiny yeah, bit of irritation on my palm. Yeah. If I did that for an hour, I'd have a bloody palm. You probably do, yes. What comes after that is a scab. Yeah. Long-term in our bodies with high blood sugars, we are irritating our arterial walls, and eventually they get a little enough irritation that the cholesterol comes along and lays down as basically a scab mm-hmm. to repair that artery and keep it from rupturing. Because if it ruptures, you're going to die really quickly. Yeah. It's a type of aneurysm. Yeah. However, if it lays down there and starts to repair that, if it stays there long enough, it grows over and becomes a permanent scar, which we call a plaque. Yeah. And that comes from long years of keeping an inflammatory body and high blood sugars and Mm -hmm. inflammatory omega-6s in our body. And trans fats make it even worse. Mm -hmm. Do the daily eating window. Take most of the simple carbohydrates out of your diet. Keep your calorie count up with things like avocados and good like avocado oil and olive oil so that you can keep your energy levels up, give yourself more logs to work with that actually turn into good stuff in your body, give your body good building blocks, Mm -hmm. 
eat enough protein to feel satisfied. If you're a person who's of a descent, like say, for instance, Eskimo, their bodies have adapted over the eons to be very primarily protein. Uh, fat and protein laden. Mm -hmm. If you're from a tropics kind of a heritage, maybe you don't need hardly any meat. Yeah, you got to adapt that to what fits you as a human being. And mm -hmm. your body, when you look in the mirror and and look within yourself with your eyes closed, how does my body feel mm -hmm. when I eat these things? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, abstinence diets for a short period of time, where you take everything out and you only eat one type of food for a short period of time, say two three days, to find out where your response to that is, what your body actually feels like eating just that, can give you incredible insight as to what's good for you. Mm -hmm. So wheat is a great example. Yeah, Wheat is a terrible product for 99% of us. Read Wheat Belly and Grain Brain and you'll find out you probably don't want wheat in your diet hardly at all ever. Mm -hmm. However, if gluten is a, a gradient that we're all familiar with that, that people have a gluten sensitivity. Yeah. If you go off of grains for three months plus and you eat one slice of Wonder Bread, you'll know whether you have a gluten allergy almost immediately. Mm. We're talking within 30 minutes to an hour. You'll have breakouts of sweats or hives or actual allergic reaction response, a super inflammatory responses, maybe shortness of breath or palpitations. All kinds of different things can spring up really quickly, 30 minutes or maybe an hour or less for sure. Mm -hmm. From eating one slice of Wonder Bread, a, a small portion of a half a cup of noodles or something that has right. wheat in it. Yeah, um, that's just an example. Yeah, because some people are allergic to other things in our diets. There's people who have nightshade allergies, for instance. Oh yeah, there's all kinds of allergies. If they get rid of all the nightshades and then they bring back and eat one or two little cherry tomatoes, they'll know really quickly they have a nightshade allergy, <laughs> and they will. From them forth, avoid potatoes and tomatoes and eggplant, yeah. the nightshade-type mm -hmm. vegetables. And olives and peppers. And, and exactly, yeah. the peppers mm -hmm. and the olives, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And then yeah. they, they can live more vibrantly healthy. Yeah. So we got to learn to tune into ourselves. But to get where you can tune in, we got to clean it up and become more vibrantly healthy. You mentioned Dr. Hyman and you mentioned... Um, Dr. Uh, Fung. Dr. Fung. These are two people that apparently have written books and articles and you have followed who have inspired you. Who are some other people that you felt inspired by and strengthened by by what they said? Who are some of the other people that got you on the, that who, who you feel have joined you on your journey? The, those two doctors and what they teach are profound. Tony Robbins, the mm -hmm. self-help guru, he wrote a book mm -hmm. utilizing the knowledge of these doctors and a whole bunch of other people. He's studied that stuff for 30-plus years, mm -hmm. health and wellness and vibrant health, and is, it has the money to pay for getting the best advice on the planet. Yeah. And um, so his book is full of stuff that's the cutting-edge stuff. He talks about stem cell harvesting and other uh, cutting-edge medical procedures that can help with our vibrant health and longevity. Is it Life Force? Life Force. That's yeah, the book. Away from the health industry, though, people like Jim Rohn. Rohn? Rohn. R-O-H-N. Rohn, okay. Jim Rohn is the guy who taught Tony Robbins most of what Tony Robbins currently teaches today, a self-help mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. 
Harv Eker, etc. Don Miguel Ruiz. The, how to think better with your mind to help you with the discipline it takes to make the changes and stick with them. Yeah, to, yeah. I can tell you all this about how to live more vibrantly healthy. They can come into your store and hear all about how to live more vibrantly healthy and walk out with a massive amount of knowledge and yet still get into, but life happened. Mm-hmm. Some form of it, life happened. I can't afford it. I, uh, I don't want to, whatever. However, when you change your what's going on in between your earlobes in your brain yeah. and change your focus to what can be, what's possible, it will change how you tune into information, how you stick with things like short-term hunger. Right. Turns out our hunger response is usually a lack of water response. Mm-hmm. We've crosswired our thirst and our ta- and our hunger because we usually drink when we eat. Turns out we really shouldn't drink when we eat because we want our stomach acids to be strong enough to break down that food and prepare it for our intestines to properly process. And when we feel hunger, it's usually actually our thirst mechanism because we've been drinking every time we eat, mm-hmm. miswired in our brain. Drink a big glass of water. Give it five minutes to see if you're still hungry. You're mm-hmm. not, and water, don't think of water filled your stomach. Mm-hmm. It goes through there really quickly and gets absorbed into your cells yeah. way before the 15, 10 or 15 minutes is up. So it ain't making you feel full. Mm-hmm. However, satisfying your thirst mechanism, which means you no longer feel hungry because you have it crosswired. I, I want to go even further on the drinking while you eat. I tell people don't drink liquids 45 minutes before you eat. Because the acid is building up. And then don't drink while you eat because the food comes in through the esophagus and is diluting the acid to a pH 5. That's why we digest, liquefy, liquefy the food. And then you want to wait for 45 minutes after you're done eating before you start drinking again because mm-hmm. the acid is trying to liquefy the food. You start drinking a glass of water... In anywhere in that whole section, 45 minutes before, 45 after is an hour and a half, half hour eating, two hour window. If you drink, then it should just be a sip here and there if you really feel you need it. But mm-hmm. otherwise, don't even try to stay away from it. The profound other side of consuming large amounts of liquid with food is the esophageal sphincter at mm-hmm. the top of our stomach is closed and tr- the tr- closing of it is triggered by strong acid. Correct. If you drink water, you're now in need of those Rolaids kind Absolutely of junk. Absolutely right. And the more of those the you take, the less open. the valve stays open, causing yep. acid reflux. Yep. And the more of those products you take attempting to fight the problem, yep. which is actually making the problem worse, yes. also is affecting your digestion and how well the food's liquefied, so you're not getting your nutrition. So now you crave more food because your body wants the food to fix itself. And you're, you're creating a cascade of, of awesome. stuff that's terrible for you, yep. all because you had to have liquid with your food. All because. And when you think about it, if you look at the uh, digestive process, the only place where you want some liquid is in the mouth because you put some food in, you're chewing it, so it mixes with saliva. Once it gets down the esophagus... There is more enzymes, and once it hits the stomach, it's being liquefied by the acid. Mm-hmm. I tell people at times, think about the old mafia movies where they have the barrels of acid, and they throw the body parts in when they kill somebody. They I get mean, rid of them. They get rid of, they liquefy, get rid of the evidence. And the, your stomach acid is 
a pH of 1.5, 2.0 before you start eating. Mm -hmm. It's now, very strong. Very strong. There's like battery acid. Now, I ask, I ask people, have you ever tried to take like a tablespoon of straight, freshly squeezed lemon juice? Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah. I said, how did you like it? Oh, God, it is the sour. I said, now that acid is a pH of 2.3. If you think that the stomach acid is acid, then you know if 2.3 is acidic. But sometimes I tell people when you have a bigger meal and you have some proteins and fats that are really, whoa, that's how am I going to digest it? After about 10, 15 bites of your meal, you're eating your meal. 15, 15 bites, take a tablespoon of freshly squeezed lemon juice. Some people like to do apple cider vinegar. Either way, see what works for you. You take the tablespoon straight in the mouth, swallow it, and keep eating. So it's a little sour, but the food is taking it down quickly. And then you add a little bit of acid to the stomach. But that is not the same as drinking. So, uh, and, 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 and I also tell people, if you, let's say you, you went out and you drank more than you wanted... And you, you walk out of that restaurant unbuckling your pants because you just been, you feel so bloated. <laughs> Thanksgiving syndrome. Yeah. I said, when you come home, take a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, fresh lemon juice, and just drink it straight to swallow it. Within a few minutes, three minutes, you're going to feel better. And so that is usually, oh, I don't like that taste. I said, trust me, you like it better than the feeling you have coming out of the restaurant because that is horrible. And, and you'll like quick. it better than acid reflux you could have. Right, and, and your point is very well taken. When you do not have enough stomach acid, your whole digestive, the, the whole purpose of stomach is liquefy because all the breakdown is really, the other breakdown is happening in your duodenum with the pancreatic acid and pancreatic juices and with the gallbladder, but then it and needs to get And also the absorbed. beneficial bacteria in your... That's in the intestines. Yeah. But you first want to break... You first you want to break it down, prepare break it down for the bacteria. For the right. bacteria. And I tell people, too, that if your body consists of about 70 trillion cells, your intestines have two to four pounds of bacteria. And one pound has more than 70 trillion cells, yes. more than 70 trillion bacteria. So these bacteria are super small in order to take it through that small, those small openings in the intestinal wall. It's got to be a liquid. It's got to be liquid. It's got to be broken down into micronutrients. So again, that stomach, I have talked to so many people over the years and recommended this. And overnight, one meal, the first meal, they go home that night, they're not drinking at all for two hours around the meal. And they have called me the next day and said they cannot believe how much better they felt doing mm -hmm. that for the first meal. Had that happen too. Yeah, and people say, but I always drink when I eat. I said, no, 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 no. Let's say you have three meals a day or two or three meals a day. You're talking about each meal, about two hours, no drinking. Or maybe a sip here and there if you need it, not because you want to. Let's say you enjoy a glass of wine or a cocktail with dinner. Then you take a sip and put it down. But a glass of beer... You drink, right? That's not, that's different. But I go, if you think about two meals a day, four hours, two hours, two hours, and let's say you sleep seven hours, that's 11 hours. You have 13 hours to drink whatever you need to drink. It's not that we're going to go thirsty. It is just that we forget to drink. Mm -hmm. And then we go, we better drink while we eat. Well, that, and we've also crosswired that sensation 
Our, yeah. so, our conscious sense, uh, how our consciousness recognizes that sensation. Yeah. Our body knows that if we eat, we're going to drink, and therefore it creates a hunger feeling that we go and satisfy, and we drink the water with the food, and we get the acid reflux and all these other side effects. On the subject of water uh, and stomach acid, people talk about alkaline water makes you more alkaline. It does, but it doesn't. The number, the amount of acid, that half cup or so of acid that's in your stomach will turn 55 gallons of alkaline water acid if you were to take it out of there and pour it in the barrel. Wow. Uh-huh. So alkaline water, we'll never drink more than two gallons in a day, and you got negative health consequences when you start pushing two gallons of water through yourself a day. Yeah. So you're never actually going to put enough alkaline water in you to make you alkaline. However, making water become alkaline, the process is however you choose, whether it's a specialized pitcher, uh, filter, or if it's a, a, one of them fancy electronic machines that actually makes alkaline water, yeah. or you buy it already alkalized from the store. Mm-hmm. Alkaline water, the water molecule is a V-shaped molecule that stacks up like magnets. Mm-hmm. It clumps. It's less when it's been sitting stagnant, like it comes out of the faucet. You may not think that's stagnant, but it sat there a long time in the pipes and in the lakes and stuff before it gets into the, into the plumbing. That water is clumped and it's way less absorbable. Mm-hmm. By making it alkaline, you magnify the absorbability on the order of 10x more absorbable. So actually, less water will get in deeper into your cells. Mm-hmm. And if you keep your water content up there around that half gallon to one gallon range, depending on how big you are. Mm-hmm. Your cells get more hydrated. When they're more hydrated, they can dump more toxins. More toxins go out with your urine. The more toxins that are out of you, the more alkaline your body will become because it's no longer fighting the toxins and you're becoming acid. Mm-hmm. So alkaline water is good for you, but not for the reasons they tell you. No, I agree with you. I think it is um, uh, two things. It's a good advice for people to get their saliva pH in balance. And, and balance means pH balance is pH 7.1 to 7.5. Right. And there is a way to test that. That is once a week. You pick one day a week, let's say Sunday mornings. And you get up in the morning and you go to the kitchen and get a plastic spoon, not metal, plastic spoon, camping spoon, and drool in the spoon. And then when you fill that spoon and you get one of these pH strips and you measure, you run it through there for about 30 seconds and you see where your number is. Mm-hmm. You want to be in a balanced pH before you've had anything to drink or eat, right? So you right, get right. up, go to the kitchen, do that first thing. That is an important part of becoming healthy because pH balance cannot have diseases in it. No disease, let me say it this way, will thrive in a pH balance. And if you are too acidic or too alkaline, you're not helping yourself. And so what you're saying indeed is true. You talk about drinking alkaline water. People think I need to be more alkaline. No, you want to be pH balanced. So for some people, that means it is uh, by drinking alkaline water, I become pH balanced, but then they're testing their urine. You don't want to test that, that stuff that's coming out. You want to test the saliva. I was going to say the other thing about bringing in the proper amount of your body back into pH balance. Yeah. When we eat, 
what I call crap foods, carbs, refined, artificial, and processed, the C-R-A-P food. We create an acidic environment in the metabolism of them. Correct. What does the body do? How does the body fight that? The first place it fights it from is the calcium stored in our bones. It's the biggest store of buffering agent. Calcium is a buffer. It's a base. It produces a base when combined with liquids. That calcium is scavenged from our bones, causing long-term osteoporosis, Mm -hmm. easily fractured hips. America and, and other parts of the world that are modernized and eat refined foods are places where we have the most hip fractures, the most osteoporosis. Countries that have what we would call poor nutrition and poor amounts of food don't have it hardly ever mm-hmm. because these people's pH is staying closer to natural because they're not putting in the garbage foods. Correct. And they're Correct. not scavenging their yeah. own bone calcium. So another reason to have your pH in balance. Uh, there are people who have had cancer and their pH was out of balance. They get a pH imbalance. Mm-hmm. They start feeling better. So people say, well, how do I get an imbalance? Well, you will have to check your diet. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that you can do is adding minerals to your water when you drink, trace minerals. Yeah. Because the trace minerals hold on to the water instead of the water. You're drinking so much water, you're flushing the minerals, it absorbs the minerals and the B vitamins that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, you don't want to flush all all of them out. That's right. You need the nutrients. So Um, then you become much more dependent on whatever you eat and if that's not the healthy food. One of the things I do to get uh, micro amounts of positive minerals is I use Himalayan salt. Okay. Or you can use Redmond sea salt. I mean Redmond salt that's mined out of Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, I don't like sea salt because sea salts are becoming contaminated with petroleum products and stuff that are in our seawater. But ancient seabed salts, mm-hmm. like Himalayan salt, mm-hmm. Redmond's, et cetera, all phenomenal for you. And they have between 70 and 80-something trace minerals in them. Yeah. yeah. And one of the ways, I don't like to add it to water because the water will get salty tasting enough. Depends how much you it. put in. Right. Um, <laughs> I, however, I would say one drop for every two ounces that you drink. Start with that. I... I actually just put a teeny weeny little pinch of it on the back of my tongue in the center where there's no, no salt receptors really, okay. and then chase it with a good amount of water. <laughs> um, I know guys who do a lot of strenuous work in a, like a construction environment yeah. in the heat in Texas and in Phoenix and whatnot mm-hmm. that actually take gel caps okay. and put Himalayan salt in them, uh-huh. and then they take the gel caps and they always take at least a liter of water with every two gel caps. So they're getting mm-hmm. adequate water for the amount of minerals they're putting in their body. But they're also drinking a gallon to a gallon and a half of water a day. In their case, I can understand. Yeah. The, they know? need to put the yeah. minerals in. Mm-hmm. But a good mineral supplement is vital to optimal health today. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the unknown source of minerals that most people think is just a no-calorie food is celery. Celery's Correct. packed with minerals. Yeah. yeah, It's not a great source because it's a lot of it's been grown in the same soil over and over, and it's not as good as it was in the 40s, mm-hmm. nutritionally. Still better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And the good fiber is good for our digestion and the healthy bugs in our lower intestines. The fibers. The fibers. You've got to have fiber. Yeah. To absorb. They give you the roughage. That's, that's the great to reason to out. eat lots of cruciferous type vegetables. Mm-hmm. They bring a lot of fiber with them. But cook yeah. them first. Yes. 
Don't do them uh, too much raw because they have a tendency to be hard on your thyroid. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, raw, raw cruciferous, raw broccoli. I always eat them cooked anyway. So yeah, because I uh, I like the softer texture and mm-hmm. I like the taste better if they're cooked. Mm-hmm. Another trick with salt is your bitter vegetables like Brussels sprouts. There's alkaloids in them that make them bitter. Mm-hmm. That's the reason they're bitter. But salt, if you salt them a little heavy, the salt blocks your bitter receptors on your tongue, making Brussels sprouts taste sweeter. They will never taste sweet. But taste less bitter might be a better way to say it. Here's the chef in you coming back. Yeah, it's an old (laughs) chefing thing. However, if I can make your Brussels sprouts taste better, they're great nutrition for you. Mm -hmm. Let's eat more Brussels sprouts, more Mm -hmm. broccoli, more Mm -hmm. cauliflower, more cabbages. They're phenomenal for us. Matter of fact, one of the best ways to get probiotics for our lower intestine Probiotics that are taken in a pill form, a lot of those are not buffered properly, so they get killed by our stomach acid. Yeah, they call it enteric-coated. Right. That's the proper term. I've forgotten it. No, it's okay. Um, I mean, enteric-coated, so when it says that, it means the capsule is supposed to not open up until until it gets into the duodenum in your stomach. Mm -hmm. Something that will pass, though, pretty well, not perfectly, is kimchi and um, sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. That are live culture. Mm Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the leaf doesn't completely break down in the stomach and gets into the intestine, and it takes with it the positive bacteria. And if it's wild cultured, the spectrum of bacteria going to our gut is much wider than comes in uh, like a five probiotic strain mm-hmm. pill. And that's a good way to get nutrition as well as get probiotics in you. Mm-hmm. In your journey of losing weight, what was some? Was it simply you started walking the walk, or was it for you also testing blood tests, checking your pH, uh, doing yeah whatever whatever testing was necessary in your case to just keep to f- keep feeling good and knowing you're on the right Early track. Early on, testing was big. When I was first coming off of cancer, I came to you with my blood work, and you said, "Here's some things you should pay attention to." Mm-hmm. Over the years. Well, using that advice, and I subsequently always ordered more blood testing. Talked my, I had to talk really quickly and smartly to my doctors to get them to do some of the tests because they don't always do them. Yeah. I learned to tune into my body and how it felt, just introspection, so that I could bring better foods in. And the more I got in tune with it, the easier it was to, and the more the, my body gave me the feedback, that's good for you. Uh-huh. I started eating more like the cruciferous vegetables, more green beans, et cetera, eating way less of the starches and the... Um, the the like, food that grow under the ground. You went more for food above the ground. Right. Less potatoes, less roots, et cetera. Mm-hmm. More of the above ground cruciferous type vegetables. So I have a lot of those in my diet. Yeah. I eat the, the good nuts, um, et cetera, the avocados. The more I did that, the better I felt. The better I felt, the more I did it. Yeah. Self-feedback thing. Yeah. And because I was on a health journey, I stayed tuned into it. Along the way, though, education played a huge role. Reading books like The Obesity Code and The Diabetes Code by Dr. Jason Fung. Okay. Young Forever by Dr. Mark Hyman. Life Force by Tony, Tony Robbins. Robbins and Gang. There's actually probably 20 authors in that, yeah. or contributors might be a better word. Yeah. 
not everything in some of those books is applicable. Yeah, so I was going to say, what was what was an overlapping, um, what <clears throat> were some of the overlapping topics? The big you overlapping topics for longevity, vibrant health, and also for weight loss, we're working with our insulin cycles, i.e. getting a daily eating window, taking the crap out of the diet that actually uh, spikes your insulin mm-hmm. or keeps it chronically high, taking the processed foods out, mm-hmm. the carbs, the refined, the processed the artificial, and then moving more organic. And grass-fed. And grass-fed. Free range, and yeah. for vegetables, learning the, what the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen are. Okay. Clean 15 is things like garlic and onions. They don't have to spray those plants because they're so noxious in taste that the bugs won't eat them. <laughs> then we won't, don't like to eat them until we cook them. Bugs yeah. don't have a way. They don't have a frying pan. Yeah. So I'm being a little funny here, but it's yeah. true. Yeah. And... The Dirty Dozen includes strawberries and peaches and leafy greens mm-hmm. that are bananas. primary. Bananas yeah, yeah. are things that they spray really heavily yeah. with chemicals that yeah. we don't need in our body that are actually going to plug us up. Not plug us up, but they're going to cause detrimental effects. So learning those things, is I call it education, we have to have that education to know what's right. That's what people like yourself and me come into, into, mm-hmm. into the picture for people who are out there struggling right now. Mm-hmm. They can get a hold of you or I, in whatever, whoever's better fit for them, to learn what they need to learn quickly and easily. In a well, we've already digested it and learned what's the bird's eye view stuff uh-huh. to help people, what we're talking about right now in this program, so that they can move forward quicker. Who wants to do what I've done? I've spent the last 12 years studying this stuff. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until the last two years that I actually stumbled onto how to put it all together in a program that actually works for rapid, sustainable weight loss, vibrant health, high level of awareness. Like, do I appear at all lacking energy right now? I don't think anybody in this audience would say I appear like I lack energy by the way I'm talking or sharpness, sure, either sure, one. Sure. Yeah. I haven't eaten yet today. It's what, two o'clock in the afternoon? I even know the time without, I haven't looked at a watch since yeah. I walked in your house at 1030. <laughs> yeah. That comes from having optimized my nutrition. I'm on vacation. I've eaten some things that are not, quote, in my nutrition, but I made sure they stayed in my daily eating window. Mm-hmm. And I know that at the end, I'm going back to my regime. It's a temporary setback. If I gain two pounds on this trip, so what? This time, two weeks from now, I'll be down a pound. Not, not, I'll be down three pounds. The two pounds I gained plus another pound. Mm-hmm. Long-term goals, not short-term. We didn't yeah. get fat overnight. We didn't get diabetes overnight. Those are 20 to 40 to 50-year diseases. We got those because of how we eat and our lifestyle stuff. We can fix that. And it starts in here in our brain, getting more conscious, making better choices, getting advice from people like you, Jacobus, mm-hmm. so that we can move forward. I started my journey in your shop. Yeah, I know. In a lot of ways. Yeah. I knew some stuff, but I got much deeper, better knowledge in your shop, which led me to digging deeper and on the online and stuff. And that led to eventually Dr. Jason Fung and Dr. Mark Hyman's works and Tony Robbins' works. Because when Tony Robbins put out Life Force, it was only two years ago. Mm-hmm. But when I started reading it, it's a great book because you can read it. It's kind of like the for lack of a better way book to compare to the Bible you can open it up to what's appropriate to you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know you want to learn about certain lessons you can open to that part that has that super if you want to know about stem cells he's got a whole chapter on that 
if you don't need to know about stem cells because you don't think you need to know about it, you can skip that chapter. It's mm -hmm. just fine. You can understand the rest as individual pieces. Yeah, interesting. And, not, and, and they're just a teeny fraction of what I've absorbed. I read a book called The Soul Fix. It changed soul. The fix. salt. Fix. Salt fix. The okay. salt fix. I can't remember the author's name at the moment. However, in there, he uncovered the fact that all of the studies that prove that salt is bad for us mm -hmm. were paid for and done by, I don't remember what industry. However, in that process, the scientists that believed it bred salt-sensitive rats to prove his point. That's kind of an oxymoron, yeah, if you I, will. I was going to um, say that's true. That's not a good way to prove something. Yeah. To yeah. build something to prove something is not yeah. the way you do it. Mm -hmm. Turns out lowering your salt severely will raise your heart rate, which is way more indicative of heart disease than blood pressure. Ask a cardiologist, would you rather have my blood pressure down 10 points or my heart rate up 10 beats per minute? 100% of cardiologists will tell you, no, I'd rather have your heart rate down mm -hmm. rather than your blood pressure down. When you restrict salt enough, and that's to, to the level most heart doctors are going to tell you to restrict your salt, your, your heart rate will go up. Maybe not a full 10 beats per minute, but 5 or 10. And they'll tell you that that more, more rapid heartbeat is far more detrimental to you than a high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Now, there are things where we should talk to our doctors about all this and whatnot. However, salt, salt, the word salary comes from the word salt. Salt was so important in ancient times, they paid soldiers in salt to keep them healthy. Hmm. The actual pay was in blocks of salt. Wow. Pounds of salt or, gra or whatever, however they measured the salt, grams or sure, whatever. Sure. Salt is super important. If we go with salt's one of the few nutrients, if we go without it around 25, 30 days, you will die with zero salt. Now, it turns out it's in enough foods that it's really hard to do that to yourself. Well, thankfully. I heard this lecture by Dr. Brian Artis. I think Brian Artis, he's very well versed in the whole COVID, the things that have happened in COVID. But he said, too, what's the first thing you get when you get taken into the hospital? Saline. Saline. So he said, if it was so bad for you, why would he give you saline first? Absolutely true. I never thought of that. <laughs> well, it adds on to your story. Well, part uh, of the reason they give you saline is because that that drip has to have saline in it to be properly assimilated into your blood, and they can put all kinds of medicines you in bet, there and but get it's them got into saline in it. And so yeah. they're not well, afraid of no, salt. No, salt's not really bad. Actually, your number one job of your kidneys is to maintain your salt balance properly. That's right. Good point. If you get your low your salt low enough, yeah. You cause kidney problems. Yeah. And if it's too high, as long as you got enough water coming in, mm -hmm. your kidneys will just let it flush right on out and flush right down the toilet with your urine. You sometimes indeed realize that we as population are experiments for scientists. Let's let's do this for a while. And that's heavily promoted and people doing it to see what the well, result is because they don't want to pay for the study. The sad statistics I heard, and I don't know where I heard it. If we come up with something that's profoundly new, different, that's not in the, quote, medical industry, uh -huh. before it becomes common place in the medical industry is about 25 years. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, diabetes is an example I like to use. It's been about 10 years now that good doctors like Dr. Jason Fung have known that diabetes type 2 is very controllable slash reversible with diet 
exercise, proper nutrition. Yeah. And daily eating windows. Mm -hmm. That is not common knowledge at the medical schools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At Harvard Medical, they're still teaching that you should give a type 2 diabetic more insulin. The definition of a type 2 diabetic, if you look at it, what really is going on in them physiologically... They have too high insulin level that, already. That's the last thing. And it's, yeah. cause, and it's the last thing you should be doing for them. Nutritional counseling should be the first order of business for them. Right. You cannot medicate yourself out of diabetes. Right. It's impossible. Like you cannot medicate yourself out of cancer. You could temporarily do it with chemo, radiation, and tamoxifen, and Lupron, and all those medications. But if you don't teach the person how to take care of their body, the cancer will come back. Yeah. That's the way it if is. You, if, if they're smoking cigarettes... Yeah. They're going to get lung cancer again. At some point. But, or, there, are, but there are those exceptions. You well, know, yeah, I talked to somebody. There's exceptions. Uh, to a couple of weeks ago, somebody said, my mom is 92 and she smoked for 70 years. George Burns made it to like 101 or 105 <laughs> or something. Yeah. He smoked three or four cigars a day. Yeah. I think he was 99 or 100. It was right. And Bob Hope, same way. Yeah. Also 100. Lots of exceptions to rules. There are exceptions, but it doesn't make the rule. Well, That's there are right. guys who drive from here to Billings. At 120 miles an hour, three times a week. And, and they never get caught. And they don't get caught. But eventually they do. <laughs> eventually they get caught because they slam their car in the guardrail. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Eventually something happens. They have a blowout. The car crashes. Just because you got away with it once don't mean you can get away with it forever. Correct. There are certain and, rules of nature that will apply yeah. at some point. You know, you get away at jumping out of an airplane with a parachute a number of times, but you push it towards the, like 10,000 iterations, yeah. sooner or later a parachute does not open. You're right. That's and just the facts. I say he was a nice guy. Right. <laughs> he liked to fly high. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're making some extreme, almost comedic re examples. Sure. But when it comes to our health, it's not a laughing matter. Although laughter is good for your health. I will 100% say the more you laugh, the healthier you'll be. Yeah. Matter of fact, one of the profound things that I think affected my health was I got into a gratitude practice. Interesting. I started, I didn't even know I started it, but when I first come off my chemotherapy, I was glad I was alive still. Didn't realize I was even a gratitude practice. When I got into being, talking with people about my recovery and whatnot, people at the cancer outreach place here yeah. in Bozeman. Cancer, cancer support community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they talked about gratitude and becoming grateful for the lessons learned and et cetera. I started tuning into some lessons that I could earn, learn, mm -hmm. you know, sympathy and empathy and et cetera like that. And the more I got grateful, the better I felt. Now, for me to find things to be grateful for is easy. I'm grateful I, I heard your advertisement on the radio. I said, oh, I forgot. I need to go see Jacobus. So I stopped by your store, and that led me to here. Yeah. Interesting. Right? Uh -huh. I get to be grateful for that. Even if we had, wouldn't mm -hmm. have recorded this, I would have been grateful for the interaction I had with your wife and the talk I had with her. The moment I got to see you yeah. and the, how your face lit up to see me in vibrantly good health yeah, now. amazing. Because the last time you saw me, I was not a picture of good health. That alone would have been worth it. it would have, mm -hmm. I've been grateful. Mm -hmm. I wake up, I'm grateful that the lights still work, that I got clean air and clean water, mm -hmm. a, a home, a good car to drive, mm -hmm. etc. Those are little things of life that the more we appreciate those, the easier it is to appreciate the other stuff that comes along. Yeah. And the more you tune into it, it's like the more you focus on it, the more you get it. Mm -hmm. And I find that the more I'm grateful, the more money I make. Mm -hmm. The easier it is to make it. 
Mm. The better my health gets, Mm -hmm. the more grateful I get, the more my spirit grows. That's a form of wealth. Peace of mind grows. Self-respect is growing. And my friendships are getting profoundly deep. Interesting. All started with me taking better care of me, Mm -hmm. my health, physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. I think indeed that when you were so overweight that your self-esteem was not there. It was very, very low. And you had to overcompensate who you were, which is exhausting, to be, to show up in a certain mood and positive energy, but it was really hard work. Absolutely. I mean, you are a very nice person, so it is not, it's not hard labor, but now it's not about you losing the weight. It is about this journey that you have undertaken whereby you see that if you can do it, other people can do it. And that's why you have Absolutely. started these support groups where you say, I, I'm, I'll talk to you. I will explain it to you how I do it. But trust me, <laughs> we can all do this. Whatever we put our mind to, we can, we can do. It's like you were mentioning earlier about the weight. If you start with five pound weights for a week and then every week you, you add a, a pound or two to it, in six months, you, you'd be surprised where you are at. Yeah, you know, it is just doing it, putting that first step on that new journey and not trying to combine all the other journeys. You stay on the journey. You stay on the journey where you're going and don't get distracted. And then you're going to be successful. A foundational principle, because if you stick to what works for you growing in one area, you grow in all areas. Yeah. And where I'm headed right now, I want to create a program to help people trim off massive weight. And yeah. to change the diet industry. Because right now the diet industry only cares about fattening your pocketbook with a program or a potion or a lotion or a product to buy. They don't care that it, six to nine months out that product has stopped working because mm-hmm. they've already extracted the pocketbook. Mm-hmm. I want to change that by doing what we just talked about today and more yeah. to help people. I'd like to interview at least 100 people mm. about what Interesting. their challenges are what's important to them, what they look for in a diet and health program, what would benefit them, what their challenges have been, what they've found doesn't work even. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to talk to a few people who've had profound success and find out what worked for them, why it worked, why they believed it worked. Mm -hmm. I have my perspective. Mm -hmm. I'd like to bring more perspectives in. So go to www.bookbillyjoe.com and book a 45-minute to one-hour session. I Mm -hmm. guarantee in that session we'll work with you and I will leave you with more knowledge. You're going to leave me with your your insight and your knowledge. We're both going to benefit from that phone call. Thank and you for doing this. I would really would love to impact at least 100 people in the Bozeman community. Mm. That way I grew mm. up here. I went yeah. to high school here. I went to yeah. college here. Graduated MSU with honors. Um, I will always love Bozeman and mm-hmm. the Belgrade area. There's some profoundly good, beautiful people here. And if I can help them be healthier, I would love to do that. I have that Facebook group, 100 Pound yeah. Fat Loss Forum. 100 Pound Fat Loss Forum. That's the page on Facebook. Yeah, 100 Pound Weight Loss Forum. Fat, fat, fat Loss, loss Forum. Yeah. I, I must say it myself. You have to be careful so that the listener can yeah, have it. Because it's not about fat. Weight, it is about it is about the fat. It is about the fat. The, the, inner un, the organ, unhealthy fat. The, the, unfat, the unhealthiest fat is the stuff that's in our organs. It's also the fat that 
is way deep inside of us. If someone's got a hard stomach that's overweight, a bulbous stomach that's overweight, and it's hard, yeah. it's because they have a lot of inner organ fat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. if the like me, when I lost that, I had a really hard stomach at 350 pounds. Oh, I see. You could bounce quarters off of it huh. all day long. Huh. Today, I'm 28-ish pounds overweight, mm-hmm. maybe 30. But it's all squishy, gushy fat. You can poke a finger in there and it just gooshes out of the way like gelatin. I see. Interesting. Because it's all subcutaneous fat, i.e. extra calories that have been stored. Mm-hmm. They're a vial available to my body to keep me going. And over time, I will trim them off. Mm-hmm. By the way, we left this out earlier. When you do the intermittent fasting and daily fasting, when your body goes after the unused cells, it'll actually shrink your skin to fit your body again. That new, trimmer, leaner you. So how do, do you do that? You said if you do the what? The intermittent fasting. The, the daily, intermittent fasting. The daily eating window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Combined with the weekly one day off, mm-hmm. it's going to take years for it to do it completely. Now, mm-hmm. I've been losing weight for several years. Yeah. If I had the skin I had when I was 400-ish pounds, I'd be able to stretch it out here and touch your table right now. It shrunk a lot with me, and I can tell it's continuing to shrink because I don't have a big old flap of leftover skin. I have an ex-lady friend, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She had the bypass surgery. They refused to pay for the replacement, or not the replacement, for the intervention to take off the excess skin. Okay. She'd had that surgery eight or ten years before I met her. In clothes, she looked fabulous. But when she took her clothes off down to like a bikini, yeah. she had this big old flap of skin mm-hmm. that had nothing in it. I see. It was just skin and, and a little bit of fat. Not much. It wasn't thick. It was, it was just a, two layers of skin no, together, folded in half, or thinner than my hands held together right now. Yeah, yeah. So there was no fat in there hardly. Okay. She was thin. She yeah. looked really hot. Yeah. But she had this flap of skin that bothered her. She had to eventually save $7,000 for the plastic surgery to have it taken off. Mm-hmm. What I know today and what I've seen happen with me, and I've heard of it happening with a lot of other people, when they combine intermittent fasting with their weight loss, their skin eventually shrinks to fit their new body. They'll always have a little bit of loose skin. You may at some point decide to, if you're really vain, you need to have that happen. I'm going to be 60 in another year and a half. I'm not real worried about it. Mm-hmm. The kind of woman that's going to fall in love with me isn't going to be caring about it either. Mm-hmm. We're not that shallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, I would like it to shrink down to where it doesn't interfere with how my clothes fit, mm-hmm. doesn't have folded over skin that has a place for moisture to gather and me to get a, a surface fungal infection or something. Yeah, excellent point. You mm-hmm. know, there's legitimate health reasons to have it shrink off of you, not just appearance reasons. Mm-hmm. So... Another reason to do intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. I, I want to congratulate you on an amazing journey, Billy Joe, because I have seen a huge difference in you since I haven't seen you for years. And I think that your motivation and the way you do it is very doable for other people. And So I want to thank you for coming over and sharing that because it opens my eyes about things that can be done moving away from these so-called diets. It's not about a diet. It is about understanding your body better, understanding how things are working, 
better and how we can use today's studies and research, which are published in books, like you talk about Dr. Fung and Dr. Hyman and Tony Robbins and other people you have talked to. These people have given you more insights that explains what you already feel happening in your body, putting it into words, putting it into sentences, and now you are able to share that with others. And I think your idea of inviting people to go to your 100-pound fat loss forum and go to bookbillyjoe.com, helping other people to lose the weight, I think is, a, is very wonderful that you do that. Well, it's my give back to the world. I can. It makes me feel spiritually whole and full to know I helped other people, profoundly helped them. I know what it's like to be 200 plus pounds overweight. And it gives me an empathy to help people who are already overweight, who are in the struggle. Mm -hmm. I have a unique perspective having gone through the struggle mm -hmm. that allows me to help them unique from what other than the skinny gym rat who's saying, move more, eat less, blah, blah. And that if you're someone who weighs 300 pounds, that's one of the most irritating sounds you could ever hear. Yeah. It's psychologically impactful on top of being irritating. Yeah. Versus, I'm going to say, there's hope. Let's start with the little things mm -hmm. and build a lifestyle we can live with, a lifestyle we like, a lifestyle that is going to give us longevity and vibrant health into our old, old age. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. We can do it together. We can help each other. My page, my group, 100 Pound Fat Loss Forum, is really about building a community of people that, that will possibly survive my own physical body hundreds of years from now, maybe still be around if Facebook's still around, or those people will form whatever the new thing is and keep moving forward with a group of people who are bringing new knowledge. If I learn something new, that's one of the first places I'm going to put it. If I read a profoundly new book, I'm going to let people know about it. Mm -hmm. I'd rather share the information and get it out there than take money, so to speak, for greed or whatever. Because yeah. I know the more I serve people, the more I'll make. When I eventually roll out a program for fat loss, it's going to be a 13-week type program, 12-week program, to teach how to do and build a lifestyle that's going to last a lifetime. I'll make plenty of money because I was nice to the people up front. Mm-hmm. I'll make it from the people who can afford it, who, who want it, who desire it. Not because I talked them into it. Not because I twisted their arm and told them a half-truth. No. That's not, that doesn't serve anybody. Let's help people. You help people. I help people. We all help people. We all become a better place. Mm -hmm. We all want to live in a nicer place. And if we live with better health, we have more internal peace. When we have internal peace, we're less likely to blow up at our wife or our girlfriend or our husband we're less likely to have friction at work because we can let it just go by because we're not self-conscious anymore. We get that self-confidence back. Suddenly it's easier to do all the other things. If we're a salesman or we have a business, it's easier to show up. It's all, it all feeds back into itself. It starts with vibrant health. But indeed, if you start getting a lot of people following you and trying your program, we're going to burn a lot of fat. Absolutely. I want to be known as a guy who takes a billion pounds of fat and vaporizes it. That's only, it sounds like a lot. A billion yeah. is a very, very, very large number. Yeah. But it's only 10 million people losing 100 pounds each. Yeah. 
That's a very doable number. The planet may fly away. If I may get the, out of orbit. And I'm not so big of my ego that I have to be the guy who talks to all 10 million of those people. No. If I talk to a thousand people who told a thousand people who told a thousand people were there. You're right there. That's right. The yeah. ripple effect of it. Let's make a change. Let's Thank do you. the right thing for people. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. You bet. It's been my pleasure. Awesome. Well, folks, I thank you all for tuning in today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, took some notes. You know where to go. You can sign up at healthinfocusnow.com is my website. Sign up for a newsletter that will come out or we send you an email when uh, a new podcast is coming out. And then you can, of course, go to any of the podcast platforms to hear this message if you want to share it with other people and let them know where to go for that um, and then Billy Joe bookbillyjoe.com Billy Joe author bookbillyjoe.com or on Facebook at 100 pound fat loss forum thank you so much be well and we'll talk to you again soon bye bye